Good morning, New City. Those of you who are here in the sanctuary and for those of you who are watching at home, it's good to be worshiping with you. After I graduated from college, one of my good friends went to work for an investment bank. And he told me about the cutthroat competition that he felt and experienced while he was working there. He started out as an entry-level employee, and then he, he, with a whole bunch of other people, they brought in this whole class of people to start working at the same time. And the program was a two-year program, and you try a bunch of different things. And then they would select a small percentage of the people they brought in as recent grads after those two years, and they would be invited to stay for a third year. And so it felt very competitive to see who could kind of make that elite cut and get the job offer for the third year. And so my friend, being very competitive and hardworking that he was, he was determined to get a job offer at the end of two years. So he was willing to do whatever it took. And one of the ways that the competition showed up it was um, in the number of hours that people would work. Not so much the amount of work that they would do, but the number of hours that they would be at the office. And so he said that he, he was frequently working 80 to 100 hours every single week, and he worked his whole first year without taking a vacation. And so the, the cumulative wear of working 80 to 100 hours a, a week was really getting on him, and so he would often find that he was at work and he was just exhausted and he wanted to go to bed, go home and go to bed, but he was competing to see who could stay at work the longest. And so he had to figure out how he could win this competition and get a little bit of shut-eye. So what he found, there's two ways that he could do this. Uh, he would take his uh, suit coat off and put it on his chair. So if people walk by, they go, oh, I know he's in, in the building because his jacket's on his chair. And then he would do one of two things. He would either lie under his desk. If he could curl up in a ball, people wouldn't immediately see him if he pulled his chair in and sleep. Or he would go into the bathroom and lean against the bathroom stall and take a nap. Unfortunately, neither one was an ideal sleeping situation. Being under your desk, you know, you're constantly nervous that someone's going to walk by and see you. And they used to keep the bathroom at like a frigid uh, temperature to, so that people couldn't sleep in the stalls. Apparently, that was like a common thing that people would do. My friend wanted to succeed, and that meant he had to deny basic bodily needs for sleep in order to get ahead and win at his job. In order to conform to the expectations of this work culture, he had to do something that was unnatural and ill-fitting to him. He had to sleep under his desk or in a bathroom stall. He made it through his first two years, and he got a job offer. Yay! For his third year. But somewhere in the middle of his third year, uh, he quit his job and he was so broken and exhausted he spent a couple years living at home with his parents just recovering from the toll that living that way for three years had taken on him. He sacrificed so much, but in the end was unhappy and completely exhausted. This is an extreme example. I hope none of you have done anything quite that extreme to get ahead in life. But I don't think the general experience of doing these sorts of things is all that uncommon. At times, we deny our true selves, our, our basic needs, take on expectations that are ill-fitting to who we are in order to fit in with others or live up to their expectations. We wear ourselves out living for the wrong things, give our heart and soul to something that in the end doesn't bring us happiness and just leaves us kind of worn out and tired. I wonder... 
If there's anything coming to mind in your history when you have done something like that, put on something ill-fitting in order to measure up to the expectations of those around you. Maybe at work, or maybe at home, or maybe at school. There's some expectation, and even though you didn't really want to do it, it wasn't consistent with who you truly are, you felt pressured to conform and do. Maybe it's something really simple, like when you're in a conversation with your boss and you need to go to the bathroom, you deny that reality and you sit there in that uncomfortable pain of having to go pee because you don't want to disappoint your boss and say, excuse me, I need to use the bathroom. Or maybe it's more significant, like you chose a career to please your parents, even though you'd rather be doing something different. Now, I'm sure you could think about an example of how you do this, if I gave you enough time, a way in which you gave in to some external pressure from another person or from a culture or from a system that you're embedded in. We all do this at times. But there are also subtler ways that you and I have been formed in this world to behave that are just as constricting and constraining and ill-fitting for who we are, but they are much, much more difficult for us to recognize. These often aren't coming to us in the form of external pressures, like a boss putting expectations on us, or a parent, or a workplace culture. These are internal pressures, things that arise from within us, pressuring us to conform and become a person that isn't consistent with who we really are, pressuring us to put ill-fitting things on. These internal pressures are drives, desires, and deep needs that we feel we must meet that spring forth from our soul and our, our spiritual center. And these spiritual needs can drive us to do things that are ill-fitting for who we truly are. One author, Thomas Keating, says there are three basic drives in our fallenness that we attach to and end up wearing us out. We over-identify with these things leave us constricted and in pain. It's the drive for power and control, the drive for affection and esteem, and the drive for security and survival. Primarily, these are things that arise from within us, we attach to, and then we end up doing things that constrict or cause us to live lives that are ill-fitting for who we really are. Our deep attachment to these spiritual drives is revealed in our reactivity whenever we don't get these things, whenever they're not met. We experience terrible unhappiness if we don't get power and control and we need it. We don't get affection and esteem that we long for or we're losing security and survival. So if we have to work for a boss, someone who has power and control over us that we can't get along with, it can cause deep pain and hurt to be under a person that is like this. Or it's why we can get up and give a speech or act out a performance on a stage or play in a game And after receiving 15 compliments, find ourselves devastated when we overhear one person saying a slightly negative thing about our performance. 
That's the thing that sits with us. That's the thing that we stew over. 15 compliments, but that one slight criticism stays. And this is why some of us can save money and then save more money and then save more money trying to gain security for the future against any possible catastrophes and still feel like we're at risk, we're not safe, we don't have enough. Deep within us, our soul clings to the promised happiness that power and control will bring us, or affection and esteem will get us, or security and survival will earn us. They, deep within us, we believe, are the surest paths to happiness. And our belief in these things is religious. We orient our lives around our pursuit of these things. We devote a lot of time and energy to gaining power and control, affection, esteem, security, and survival. We do this in large and small ways in our families, trying to gain power over our spouse or our children or control how everybody acts. Or They drive our careers and what we do. They influence how we invest and spend our resources. There are whole sets of rules, even dogma, around how we can gain power and control. People write books about this. There are classes and coaches we can hire to help us get others to like us. And there are whole industries constructed around ensuring our financial security in the future. And you and I can wear ourselves out in pursuit of these things. We can wear our kids out, if you have kids, preparing them to take on this yoke. So deeply do we believe in the happiness of power and control, affection and esteem, security and survival will bring. If we can only gain those things, then we think we'll be happy. But we aren't. These things don't make us happy. They make us exhausted. For those who gain a modicum of power and control or affection and esteem or security and survival, there's this low-grade anxiety that it's not quite enough. At any moment, it could slip away. So you're burdened by this never-ending need to accumulate more, achieve more, accomplish more. For those who don't have much power and control, affection and esteem, or security and survival, you can wear yourself living and believing that if I only get there, then I will be happy. Either way, whether you have it or you don't have it, the belief that these things bring happiness, that we need power, we need to be in control, we need people to like us, or we need to be secure, that that is how we'll be happy, that belief, that religious-like belief, leaves us exhausted. Jesus says to us, stop it. Actually, the word that he used was repent. Repent. Change the way that you are living. Put in modern words, repent simply means change the place you're looking for happiness. Change the place you're looking 
for happiness. The word literally means if you're going in this direction, stop, turn around, and go in the opposite direction. Make a 180. That's repentance. We often think that repentance means self-flagellation, whipping ourselves in the back, or some act that's self-harming or self-loathing or punishing to ourselves. But repentance simply means changing directions. Change the place you're looking for happiness. Stop looking for happiness in places that are leaving you empty, burdened, anxious, miserable, and distraught. Stop looking for happiness in power and control, affection and esteem, security and survival. And in our passage, Jesus clearly defines what repentance looks like. What it means to change the place we're looking for happiness. In the verses preceding our passage, Jesus is actually giving a woe to you statement to some cities. He's calling people to repentance. And then in our passage, he defines what repentance is. Not self-flagellation, but invitation to rest. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion or whatever thing you're believing in, Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life, your true life, who you really are. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. and You'll learn to live freely and lightly. The call to repent is a call to leave behind the oppressive yoke that is wearing you out. To leave behind all the religions of this world that promise happiness in illegitimate ways. Power and control, affection and esteem, security and survival. It's a call to lay down all the shoulds that oppress you and keep you from taking a real rest. It's a call to lay down anything that is ill-fitting and keeping you from becoming who you truly are called to be. And it's an invitation to let go of everything you think you need in order to recover your life. How? By learning the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus comes to you and me. He sees how frenzied we are, how much striving there is in our world, how furiously we're all working to achieve, accumulate, and accomplish more. He says, stop. Repent. Come to me and learn about God's unmerited, gracious love for you. The thing you really need is God's love. And there's absolutely nothing you or I have to do to achieve that love. God is so much more gracious than you and I know that we have to spend our whole life learning grace. We have to learn grace. 
It's so unnatural for you and me that we have to engage in a a regular rhythm of practice where we're learning grace. We have to immerse ourselves in the rhythms and the flow and the consistency of grace. At the heart of repentance, at the heart of you and me turning our life around, is stopping believing in the things that are causing us to run frantically and instead turn and learn grace. So I'll pause and just sit with that. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you're at home or here in the sanctuary and listen for the voice of the Spirit. Jesus says to you, come to me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And as you sit in the quiet, what are you noticing? What yokes oppress you? What feels ill-fitting and heavy. In what ways do you feel like you have lost your life? Come back. And as we listen to the Spirit, there can maybe be a temptation to run away from relationships and responsibilities, but God isn't calling us to run away from our life. We don't primarily find freedom by leaving relationships or quitting responsibilities. God is inviting you and me to let go of our unhealthy attachment, our wrong beliefs, That we gain happiness by getting power and control. By getting people to like us through through affection and esteem. And securing for our future with security and survival. God is inviting us to let go of our attachment to these things and be in our life in a different way. And we can only do this, the, the letting go of these things, because everything in us screams for us not to lose power and control screams to get us to get to to get people to like us and secure our future the only way we can do that is if we build our lives upon the foundation of grace it's not something we do one time i believe in grace and then we're good forever we have to immerse ourselves in the rhythms of grace. We have to learn the rhythms of grace from Jesus. We have to be so deeply saturated in grace. It is so, grace is so unnatural for human beings. We have to engage in the study of grace. This is our mission at New City. My hope is that our community can be a place 
where you and I, where we offer practices, where we engage in practices together that keep my life and your life rooted in grace. So, in recent weeks and months, we've decided that this is something that we've kind of been, uh, has been growing in our church, this idea of rooting ourselves in the rhythms of grace, the unforced rhythms of grace over a while now. So we've decided that we're going to refresh our logo to reflect some of these changes and our branding to reflect some of these changes, small changes that we're embarking on. So we're going to, can you show, so that's our new logo. Learning the unforced rhythms of grace is our new tagline. Nothing is fundamentally changing about who we are. It's more about kind of acknowledging some of the shifts that have been happening over the past few years. More than ever, I don't want, leadership staff doesn't want New City to be a place that is putting heavy burdens on other people. You can just cycle through those. I think there's a few other ones. There's just different color palettes. If if you're in branding and you find that interesting. I don't, we don't want New City to be a place where there's this obligatory shoulds, where people should be this way, they should talk this way, they should dress this way, they should vote this way, they should do these things. New City is not about putting ill-fitting burdens on people. It's a place where we can encounter God and learn the unforced rhythms of grace from Jesus. Everything that we do, one-on-one meetings, worship services, volunteering, retreats, mission, children's ministry, even social activities, everything is meant to, to take us a little bit deeper in the rhythms of grace. Our old logo, if we could have that go up. So you can kind of see, you kind of go back and forth a few times between the old logo and the new logo. You can see that there's some parallels there. Um, they're both kind of this idea of hills and sun, and that comes from our founding verse, which is Matthew 13 through 16, which talks about being a city set on a hill. So the idea that we exist for the outside world, we, we, the way that our community loves one another and is together is revealed to the outside world. And the new logo incorporates some of the ideas of the way that we get there as we all are personally transformed as we engage in the rhythms of grace. So you have the idea of sort of a more flowing logo, a more uh, pastoric or bucolic experience and encounter. This kind of gets to the fact like as you enter our property, this property is sort of like an oasis of God's creation in the middle of suburb city living. And so you kind of enter this space and you slow down. There's no more striving, no more achieving. When you're on this property, you are loved because of grace. There's a Sabbath slow feel to it. Hopefully you can see, so then this tagline, learning the unforced rhythms of grace, is sort of like what it, what it feels like, everything that we do feels like, but it doesn't change our mission. Our mission is still the same, to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus by being a place where people can learn, connect, and share. So the fundamental thing that we are doing is trying to help people know Jesus, lead people into this life-transforming relationship, because it is through Jesus that we learn the rhythms the unforced rhythms of grace. And then our vision 
uh, to be a community of individuals being transformed in the image of Christ by the grace of God, which sets us free to love one another in such a self-sacrificial way that we collectively testify to the presence of God in this world. Again, that's getting at the city on a hill idea. We exist so that people experience our community, experience people in our community, see how we are like Jesus. We individually and collectively have learned the unforced rhythms of grace. Somebody outside world is feeling oppressed by all the shoulds, all the ways they think they need to measure up. And in our presence, individual and collective, they experience the slowness, the safety, the welcome of grace. This tagline is just a, a shorthand phrase to remind us Everything that we do is rooted in learning grace. It's a rubric we can apply to decisions. It's a guide to orient our future. Everything that we do in this community and for those outside the community should be, in some way, small or large, helping us move or learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So this is what we're doing. Exists to help people live a life rooted in grace. And I am curious as how other people experience this. I know that it can seem somewhat weak to have this be our mission to help people live deeper lives of grace, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. But everything that a religion does, everything that a local church does, must be built on the foundation of grace or it becomes corrupted. Community must be built on grace or else it becomes competition. Our work for justice must be, work, must be built upon grace or else it becomes virtue signaling. Volunteering and service must be built on grace or else it becomes self-focused martyrdom. Giving and generosity also has to be rooted in the rhythms of grace or else it's just an effort to gain power and control over whoever we're giving to. Prayer must be built upon grace or we'll come to God with an agenda or unable to be honest. All parts of the Christian faith must grow out of the foundation of grace. We have to know that God loves us by grace. We haven't done anything to deserve His kindness to us. It comes to us simply because you and I are human and God has chosen us. He has chosen to love us. And that means as a church, our purpose, what we're doing, is to provide ways for people to engage in the rhythms and practices where we learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Otherwise, the pressures of this world take us away and just reconform us back into the belief system that I need power and control, affection and esteem, security and survival to be happy. And without these, I'll never be happy. So we have to engage in this program of consistently learning grace. We'll be talking about this. This is what our sermon series is for the next three weeks or so. So we'll be talking more about what this looks like. But for now, I just want you to notice what is happening within you? What's happening within your spirit? 
When we were in quiet, if anything came to you, I want you to continue to pray with that and sit with that. Pay attention to where the Spirit may be calling you to let go of some heavy burdens. Let go of your need for power and control. Let go of the compulsive demands of affection and esteem. Let go that driving need, security, and survival. And consider what God might be inviting you to do today to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for your grace and for your love for us in Jesus. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Teach us. Show us what we must do to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.